um, Smith's Work Limited, based in Lagos, Nigeria. And together with, uh, I'm sorry, if you have your videos. The Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations, uh, I'm sorry, FAO, I think that's for in me. collaboration with local governments and partners, is at the forefront of implementing the inclusive business model approach. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so, so I said I work for Smith's Work Limited, based in Lagos, Nigeria, and in partnership with uh, Lead Space and Passion Incubator, we are um, we host regularly the um, Fluid Hangout, which is pretty much um, a, a web series where we share ideas, um, strategies for small businesses to be able to thrive. Um, in Nigeria. Um, and it is to this end that we are bringing to you the uh, fourth edition, which is titled um, Inclusive Business and Sustainable Financing for SMEs. Now, I can't stress enough the importance, uh, I mean, the importance of uh, SMEs, small and medium scale enterprises, as it is, uh, um, you know, called here in Nigeria, in the US it's called small businesses. Um, I can't stress the importance of small businesses. Uh, Nigeria has, at the, at the minimum, 90% uh, of businesses, 90% uh, of the entire business that exists within uh, the economic framework um, are small businesses. And so we have small, we have medium, we have large, and the bulk of it are uh, micro, micro businesses, micro, small, and medium enterprises. And because of our growing population, it is envisaged that micro, small, and medium enterprises are supposed to be the uh, job creators over the next few decades. So our concern is to help small businesses find um, the necessary information, strategy that they need to be able to thrive in this economy. And so without further ado, I'd like to introduce my uh, Panelists for today, um, I have with us. I'll start with the lady. With the lady first, uh, I have Mrs. George Soramidayo. She is the uh, corporate um, affairs and sustainability manager for Ghana and Nigeria for Unilever. Mrs. Soramidayo, you want to say hi? Hi, and you've just demoted me. I'm sorry. <laughs> no problem. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Okay. Uh, you want to correct me then? <laughs> yes, director for um, okay. Unilever in Ghana and Nigeria. Okay, thank you for joining us. Also here with us is uh, Professor Todd Watkins. Professor Todd Watkins is a professor of economics at the uh, Lehigh University in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. You should, you should check Leah out. I, I'm a product of Lehigh, so. <laughs> uh, Professor Watkins, you want to say hi to us? Uh, great to see everyone. Thank you for uh, inviting me. I'm looking forward to the conversation today, Kyoto. Thank you. Okay. I, I also have with us uh, Professor Ken Amayashi uh, of the University of Edinburgh Business School. He's a professor of sustainable development. Professor Ken, do you want to say hi? Oh, hello everyone. I'm glad to be here too. Okay, great. So, um, so I, the, the way this is going to go is we're going to focus on inclusive business 
um, first, and then we run into include, uh, sustainable financing because it's interesting. The idea of inclusive business is interesting, but it's also interesting to learn uh, the economics behind the um, uh, inclusive business models. So, um, Mrs. George, could you kindly just share with us what inclusive business is and why do we need inclusive business models? Thank you. Um, um, if you don't mind, I would like to put up my video whilst I'm talking so as to, I, I just noticed that my inter internet is not that um, strong. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, um, inclusive business, the different nomenclatures um, which we can use to then um, describe it, um, it's very much linked to what we call bottom of a pyramid, base at the bottom of a pyramid, um, basically because businesses that have that model or that um, use that model um, oftentimes, um, well, are expected to be doing business with those at the base of the pyramid, at the bottom of a pyramid. And sometimes we, we can then describe them as, you know, market linkages, you know, um, basically because we expect that they're linking up one market, you know, to another market at the bottom of a pyramid and making markets work for the poor is another nomenclature. And sometimes people describe it as responsible um, supply um, chain management. Um, but Inclusive, an inclusive business model is one that um, works with the poor, you know, work with the poor and the vulnerable at the bottom of a pyramid. And the bottom of the pyramid are those that are described as, you know, low income earners who do not earn that much. And um, the business is supposed to um, work with them in several ways, either to look at them or to interact with them and work with them on the demand side as clients and customers, um, because um, people who are at the base of the pyramid uh, in Nigeria, for instance, are said to be aspirational. So they want to have access to goods and services as those that the rich also have. So for instance, we can design small um, shampoos, nicely fragranced shampoos in small packages for people at the bottom of the pyramid for them to use or small tubes of toothpaste for them to be able to use. So on one hand, an inclusive business um, would be able to supply goods to, the, to those at the bottom of the pyramid. And on the other hand, as supply, on the supply side, we can then incorporate them as producers, business people, employees who then make inputs into the value chain um, in one way or the other. So an inclusive business in summary will build a bridge between um, business, the business and the poor for mutual benefit. That's it in summary. Hmm. Interesting. Um, Professor Ken, can I just ask you a question? I know you are not on this, uh, not officially on this panel, but can I just ask you a question? Um, I wanted to ask, what's the relevance of uh, inclusive business models uh, with um, the small business and the SME subsector? Um, the inclusive business agenda, I think it's for everyone, isn't it, in a way. So um, and I see it more as a business philosophy. And if it's a business philosophy, irrespective of size, um, once you connect to it, then um, the question is to see how one can operationalize it. So I wouldn't make that distinction. Okay. Okay, so, so it means that it's a philosophy and it can be adopted by either small or big businesses. Okay, great. 
Um, so to that to that point, um, Mrs. To that point, Mrs. George, could you kindly just share what are the key benefits of having an inclusive business, um, especially in this climate? Um, um, look, there are lots of opportunities, and I think that's why I have been focusing on inclusive an inclusive business model um, for some time now, and especially now that um, there was a study recently by the UN University that says we might likely, um, due to the COVID-19 challenges that we've been facing, have about half a billion more people, you know, um, coming to the um, poverty line, um, um, you know, um, as a result of the economic impact of, of COVID. And so if that is the case, then that means that some people have described it as a, as a new poor. That means that we're going to have much more people at the bottom of the pyramid. And the opportunities that that pose for us as businesses is that we then have an untapped potential number of clients that we can serve, right? Who are basically um, people who can, you know, afford to pay little. Um, they're low income earners, their disposable incomes are, are little, but they're also aspirational in nature, which means they also want the kind of products that we um, basically serve at the, to, to, the, to the rich in the society, um, premium products we call them. And so we can then design value for money for them on one hand, but then um, I, I sort of like liked when um, Dr. Professor Ken was um, talking and he said, look, it's for everybody. So you can have small businesses as well who would then bring um, those at the base of the pyramid into their value chain, into their supply chain. So looking at farmers, for instance, can you get fresh produce from farmers um, into your supply chain if you have a supermarket or you have a fresh farm market, for instance, or can you use those um, farmers to be able to supply, you know, large um, chains of supermarkets or large corporations and, and then just make sure that they're empowered. There's so many things that we can do. I remember there was a woman that had a business, a fabric business, and that would go to one of the states in the Southwest in Nigeria and work with the local women there who are weaving, you know, fabrics and doing stuff with um, um, local fabric. And she would buy from them, build their capacity, help them with their bookkeeping, you know, basically empower them. So there's you know, advantages for businesses on one hand to tap into this huge market, which has been estimated at about $2 trillion, yeah, right? Yeah. And of about 4.5 billion people um, that are at the base of that pyramid and a huge number of them in Nigeria. And so there are opportunities for you to then create a market for them. Um, if people are going to be poor or more people are going to be poor in Nigeria, we then need to be looking at it from that angle as to how do we empower them? How do we make sure that their living standards are up to par? Um, so the other thing is that um, from the angle of those at the base of the pyramid, the advantage is that they become empowered, you know, they learn new skills, um, they earn income, their living standards then are, you know, commensurate to what they would normally have it. I was just, when I went out today, I noticed the huge number, the large number of people in front of the banking, uh, in front of several banks in Nigeria. And I thought to myself, hey, that's a, that's a market. And most of these people are not people like you and I and everybody else on this call that have access to infrastructure and can, you know, dial in online to webinars and all that. 
can somebody then look into that market, tap into that potential and innovate and create or invent, you know, something that people can use at home whereby they don't have to go to the banks and they can make their sales and their purchases, you know, using their mobile phones. And we have a lot of that happening in Kenya, by the way. So, and that's the advantage. So the advantage on one hand is growth and value, right? The other thing is um, productivity for those at the base of the pyramid. And then the last thing I would like to mention is risk management. And I want to look at risk management in a different perspective. If we have too many people at the base of the pyramid, it's a security problem for us. Mm. It's a security problem for everybody. You don't want that large number of people at the base of the pyramid. I mean, then saw a little bit of that in Nigeria during the lockdown when people were hungry, people didn't have savings, they couldn't stock up, you understand? So if we have more people gainfully em 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 empowered, you know, gainfully employed, and we have more entrepreneurs and businesses coming up to that, um, into that pool of people, then, you know, we'll bring more people out of poverty. And I think those are the advantages. Okay. Thank you, uh, Mr. Sarabida. Before we go ahead, uh, to everyone on this call, I'm launching a poll um, right now. So please kindly just, it will just take a click to be able to attend to the poll. Um, it's, we, we typically do that to be able to evaluate the, uh, the call. So I'm launching the poll right now. Please kindly just um, um, choose your preferred uh, preference. Thank you. So um, I'll come to Professor Watkins. Um, Professor Watkins, so what is sustainable financing and how do you see sustainable financing, um, you know, uh, in, in the light of inclusive business? Because it, it sounds lofty sometimes when people say, oh, you have to include, you have to think about the poor um, when, you know, creating your business model it's innovative, we can reach the poor of the poor, and all that and all that. I'm interested to find out what are the, uh, what's the economics that sits behind the, um, behind this uh, idea of inclusive business? Well, I think there's several layers there of the, of the structures and the issues that you need to think through. Um, one is just if you're a small business, if you're a, you know, a vendor or if you're trying to develop an entrepreneurial business uh, in local uh, context, you know, how do you finance that and how do you make sure that the cash flows are uh, where they need to be to make it a sustainable business and how do you, you know, get the resources that you need to build that business. So that's sort of the, from the ground up. Um, you know, how do you sustain that finance, whether you're getting, you know, small micro loans from local, uh, local banks or MFIs, microfinance institutions, or whether you're asking your uncle to help you pay for that, right? There's finance models at the, at the bottom of the pyramid for people who are trying to do these little micro businesses and then SME sort of financing is the next level up um, for entrepreneurs who are trying to, you know, make ends meet. Uh, and then from the other and the sort of the Unilever side of the world, um, you know, how do you bring enough resources to bear to scale business models to serve the bottom of the pyramid markets, right? So that's, you know, that's a very different sort of Wall Street or, um, you know, London stock market kind of financing where, uh, you know, big piles of money have to flow to bottom of the pyramid business models 
either through uh, you know large scale investment or through large scale companies who are who are trying to scale up some sort of business model at the bottom. So you know you sort of have the top down and the bottom up sort of approach to financing, and the financial models in both those situations are quite different. And then in the middle is um, you know what what these days has been called impact finance um, and impact investing. Uh, these are investors around the world who are trying to invest in uh, things that might have impact either on the environment or impact on poverty or impact on gender empowerment, sort of sustainable development goals, sorts of impact investing. Um, and you know, what are the, what are the tools and what are the um, kind of investable opportunities that those investors are seeking? Uh, I could talk a lot about that if you want, but um, you know, so I think you got three really things. What are the business models that make that work from the bottom? What are the business models that make it work from the top? And then what are investors looking for if they're trying to put a million dollars uh, into, into some bottom of the pyramid business? I don't know if that, if that addresses your question, but that's kind of the way I think about it. Right. Um, Professor Ken, before you leave, I know you are leaving in, in, in a few minutes. Um, how do you react to um, the inclusive business model and the, the um, uh, Professor Watkins' um, um, three, you know, um, the, the models he had described for financing? How do you react to, 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 to this? I think those are very, very important distinctions to be made because sometimes we tend to lump everything together. And um, I think when you come to the financing part of it, which leads me to, I mean, I'll talk more about what I call um, the distinction between sustainable finance and financing for sustainability. Because sometimes we tend to mix up the two. And if we keep it as sustainable finance, for example, it makes it more like a niche, which goes the same way with impact investing. <clears throat> so is there a category that we know do impact investing on one hand and the other hand, we do what you consider the conventional investing. So, or shall we be talking about how money, how finance can support the sustainable development goals? And in this case, inclusive development. So, which is kind of a, a different way of looking at the same thing. So, on what, if you look at it as a specialized field, it's likely to be marginalized. But if you turn it around and make it the core, then it can drive the whole agenda in terms of system change. Right. Yeah, but I have to leave now. I'm sorry, uh, going over to another conversation, but I'll follow up with the recording. Thanks okay. a lot. Sure. Um, so, Mrs. Soramida, given um, these, um, given these models that have been, you know, um, described, uh, impact investment, you know, and all the um, support at the base, and you know, at, at the top down, the middle, and all that, what do you? How would you, I know that you are heading sustainability at Unilever. Uh, would you say that sustainable or, I beg your pardon, inclusive business, would you say that inclusive business is sustainable? Um, well, I'm not going to give a blanket response to that because you do have um, um, challenges um, in terms of implementation, um, and I'll give a, and I'll give a, a experience. I'll just talk about our experience in um, in a, um, implementing inclusive business model in Nigeria. And we started with a hundred women along a distribution line in Ghana. So there were different learnings, and um, whilst it's um, helped to build bring a lot of women out of poverty, 
and has helped us in, in expanding our market trade routes. So basically what we get from it is that, you know, our trade routes, you know, access to new markets is expanded, right? So we basically deal with women in the rural areas, right? And so by doing that, we get into areas where we would typically not get into. And then we use um, and work with women, right? Um, that will then be, um, part of our distribution line. Um, some of the challenges that we've had is in terms of, you know, um, the cultures that we then face, the religious beliefs and the cultures in those areas. And I'll give you a typical example of when we went to one of the states in the North and where we, we, couldn't, be, we couldn't, you know, just work with the women because um, um, the women are expected to market their wares, they're expected to interact with customers, and because of the religious beliefs around women in those areas, they couldn't do that. So a lot of those women couldn't be empowered. Um, in some instances, we then find out that the financial skills that we brought um, to part of, as part of the package uh, of dealing with these women haven't also worked with some women whereby some women have just you know just gone right off the roof right in terms of even more than a hundred percent increase in earning power um, I mean you know um, and more than that in fact in many cases so it's it's sustainable but there are a lot of challenges and um, the beauty about it is when you then get a sizable number of people that are empowered and then it also becomes profitable for you as businesses. But I know a lot of small businesses that have done well, you know, we're incorporating this model. Right. So, um, Professor Watkins, what I hear from Mrs. George is a long-term approach to finance, uh, I beg your pardon, to financing. Um, you're financing, um, people at the bottom of the pyramid, hoping that they will open up um, channels for new businesses and access to new markets. I'm asking myself, uh, is that something worth uh, while for a small business to pursue? I mean, you've, you've done a lot of work with small businesses, especially in Kenya. Um, I think you also mentioned at some point that you were somewhere in Asia also doing similar things. Uh, how, would you, how would you react to, um, this? Um, yeah, that's a terrific question. So I think that it's a very difficult challenge, but absolutely doable. I mean, I think there's some great examples around the world of um, businesses that have become quite sustainable, quite profitable, quite impactful on, you know, the populations that they're working with, um, including employing a lot of people or, you know, bringing services to them that they weren't able to access before in agriculture or uh, you know, power, energy, or water. Let me give you just a couple of examples. You mentioned kind of where I've been working. Um, there's a wonderful business in Kenya these days that is kind of combining a very large scale attraction of uh, investment capital to put infrastructure together. Um, so it's attracting worldwide investors but it's also employing and helping um, lots of very small scale market vendors who are in the agricultural supply chain. Um, this is a company called Twiga Foods um, and they are revolutionizing really the sort of Kenyan agricultural supply chain. So they, they work very closely with farmers, sort of smallholder farmers who have a few acres of, of uh, growing uh, bananas or whatever they're, they're producing. Um, and they're training those farmers on how to, um, you know, be more productive 
and also how to be more sustainable in, in whatever they're doing agriculturally using you know better techniques and so forth. And then they have trained a whole bunch of local uh, uh, people to harvest uh, in a way that the large scale distribution systems want um, so that they're not bruising the bananas or whatever they're doing. And then Twiga Foods provides sort of the transportation infrastructure between the smallholder farmers um, and then the urban areas that are consuming a lot of the food. So in the transportation system, it's much more efficient than it was before. And of course, employing a lot of truck drivers and, and things like that along the way. And then they're delivering directly to smallholder, uh, sorry, uh, so the small vendors, you know, the, the, the shops in the markets who are buying the bananas, right? So they're eliminating a lot of the waste in the system. So 30 or 40% of the, of the food was being wasted just in transportation. So that's all better. And so the prices the farmers are getting at the beginning of the thing are far better. The efficiency of those farmers is far, far better. And then the prices that the market vendors are paying for the bananas is basically the same as it would have been before. And then they can sell to their, they can sell much better produce um, to the people. And it's all done sort of by cell phones. Um, and so the payments are, are, are very efficient. There's, there's no middlemen in the, in the way. Um, so they're eliminating a lot of the waste. So it's a big company and it's attracting lots of international venture capital and things like that. But it's also employing uh, remarkable numbers of people. And then the small scale vendors at one end and the small scale farmers at the other end are also being uh, quite helped. Completely different example in the water uh, space. In India and Bangladesh, I've, I've been working with a company um, that is trying to provide sort of community scale water services. There's a lot of water problems in India and Bangladesh in particular with arsenic and fluoride in the water. So these deep wells that they drill, it goes down into the bedrock and arsenic and fluoride sort of seep in. And arsenic is obviously bad and fluoride is bad in, in high quantities. So they're trying to purify this water and then um, they're creating a little business model where a, a, a local entrepreneur can buy a system for a few thousand dollars that purifies the water and then sells that water in small, you know, 20 liter uh, scale kind of things. Um, and so they have a system that's, that's quite simple to use. Uh, the, the, the chemicals are, are uh, friendly to the environment. They don't do anything uh, bad to the environment as opposed to some of the systems that are out there. And uh, it's very cheap to, to operate and very simple to operate. Um, and so they're creating these little micro businesses all over the place. And there's now hundreds and hundreds, maybe thousands of these little micro enterprises scattered throughout India and um, Bangladesh and other places as well, uh, where these systems are in operation, they're employing people not only to run the system and own the system, but then the water delivery channels. So they have people that are on, get, have either trucks or a rickshaw or something, and they deliver people, deliver water to people so people don't have to come and get the water. Uh, and it's not a um, system that you would put in your home, um, which tends to be fairly inefficient and people don't know how to attain, uh, maintain those water purification systems in their home. So they're centralized, but they're for two or 500 families at a time. Um, so yet again, a completely different business model where a fairly large business, which is attracting international venture capital, um, is providing a lot of uh, local entrepreneurs with opportunities. Thank you, Professor Atkins. But before you, uh, I, I wanted to, so fine. Um, these models are very, uh, very interesting. Uh, but looking at uh, 
looking at the post-COVID situation, right? A lot of businesses have been uh, driven into um, near loss of their entire um, of their entire financing at this point, or sales and revenue, and are trying to get back in the um, they're trying to get back in the mood of things. How do you expect them to um, be interested in you know this uh, sustainable financing models, uh, incorporating long-term benefits, incorporating um, the uh, ESG? Uh, environmental, social, and governance uh, models uh, into their financing going forward. Uh, what, do, do you think anyone will be interested in going ahead with these kind of uh, financing models? That's a that's such an unanswerable question. I have no idea how to answer that question you know, moving forward. But I do know that there's a lot of people who are working at trying to figure out that exact question. I, I was on a conference call last week with several impact investor folks, you know, sort of leaders in the impact investing world. And they're scrambling to identify, uh, you know, opportunities to invest because it's actually a pretty good time for some of them to actually make some investments because people are desperate for those investments so that the prices that they might have to pay for investments in all sorts of places might be attractive, right? So that's a, I guess, a silver lining of the horrible situation that we're in. Um, but they're also quite concerned with the local financial institutions and the ability of local financial institutions to withstand the, you know, the, the huge drop in potential revenues that, that uh, we're likely to see all over the place. The expectation is that many small microfinance institutions and banks are going are gonna to just end up going out of, going out of business around the world. So it's not just developing economies, but you know, even in the states. Right. So I, 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 I'm not sure what, how to answer that question, except to say that people are thinking, thinking hard about it and it's going to be hard. Right. Mrs. I, I, so I had, yeah, let me just, uh, I, I agree with Professor Watkins, and I, I think that's a very large, you know, huge, if I may use those terms, you know, an answerable question. But let me just, I'm just chipping this. Um, I, and I have been thinking about that um, because I've had that, that same question posed to be quite a number of them. I, I think, you know, is to really simplify the, the model and to, it's a very sexy term, and to just bring it down to simple basics, right? The, the point is, if I'm an investor, right, I'm going to first of all look for some kind of um, record. So the point is for the SMEs or the small and entrepreneurs that we have probably have on the call is to just start small, right? Just start small. And what, what do I mean by small? Um, there are opportunities. Look for the opportunity. People are making face masks. Look for things as small as that. Um, if you have a business right now that the business hasn't fitted into the model, the model, I mean, the challenge of COVID has then thrown your business model into disarray, into destruction, then you quickly need to think on your feet and look for business opportunities. And let me give you a typical uh, an example. Um, I don't know how many of you know Tiffany Amber. Um, she's a fashion designer in, in Nigeria and very well known. And recently I heard, obviously you know that um, clothing at this point of time will not be something that people will be buying. If you're under lockdown and restrictions, people won't really be wearing anything apart from very casual stuff at home. Um, but I recently heard that um, she began to look for, she started make, making face masks for 
um, and then did a small video and posted it online and then, you know, got a lot of customers and um, state governments, you know, large um, orders for her face mask. And what does that mean? I mean, what basically she was doing was ingraining purpose into her business. So her usual line of business couldn't work, but then she looked for something that has sustainability ingrained into it. And it might be small. It won't probably give her the same level of income that she would normally get. So that kind of mindset and thinking that we need to then have, you know, how do you start small? How do you take waste of the women in the marketplace, dry it and sell it to the, to, to the supermarket? You know, little things like that. What kind of things can you invent, you know, that you don't need that much of financing for now? And as you grow, the financing will come. Right. Um, so I'm going to open up um, the floor for questions. So please send your questions. You, you, you can send it through the uh, messaging because it will be difficult to be able to handle so many people trying to speak and we need to also manage time. So uh, please leave your questions in the uh, question uh, using the uh, messaging service uh, within, the, uh, um, within the platform. I have a question here for you, um, uh, Mrs. George. Uh, someone, uh, Alima would like to know if Unilever is partnering with startups in a Greek value chain. Uh, who are trying to scale up, especially those producing food ingredients uh, that can be used by the company? Okay, um, I won't necessarily call a partner's startup, right, in the agro space, but they're small companies. Um, so we have um, some small companies that are providing us with seasonings in the north. Um, we have another small business in the southwest of Nigeria that is um, helping us to manufacture one of the inputs into our oral care um, products um, using cassava and a lot of um, 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 smallholder farmers as working with a lot of smallholder farmers in that regard. Um, we do have some startups um, that we're dealing with, but not necessarily in the agro space. And so this is not to say that we can't but we just don't have any that we're dealing with right now. So if, if you're interested in working with um, Unilever, it's really just put your package, I mean, proposal together, send it in. And if it's something that, um, you know, we, we have um, need for, then we'll look, we'll look at it. Okay, um, Professor Watkins, I was going to come to you regarding um, post-COVID-19 uh, situation where, a lot of businesses now are looking to benefit from economies of scope, um, increasing revenue lines, um, you know, trying to provide services that fall within the same service lines, uh, not having to create new brands, but it's all in the process of product innovation. Um, does this, on the long term, um, amount to sustainable financing? Um, well, I think the maybe the core of your question is the the desirability of focus versus diversity and sort of product lines, right? And um, in terms of attracting financing, my fairly strong sense from the you know world of the the bankers and the investors who are putting money into scaling up businesses is that they really look for uh, 
evidence of cash flow sustainability, right? So if you're doing too many things, it's likely that you're not going to do those many, many things well, all of them. Um, and the evidence of your ability to scale that up uh, will be minimal. The, you know, the flip side, though, is if you're too narrow and you're only doing one thing and you have opportunities that you're missing. Um, uh, but I, I, I think that that focus uh, is generally appropriate for smaller businesses um, as they try to identify what's working and what their customers want you know, within that focus area, tweaking and modifying products or modifying service uh, design uh, is clearly what you want to be doing, finding the sweet spot, what your customers want. Um, but trying to do too many things, I think, is a recipe for mediocrity. Right. But uh, Mrs. Uh, George, I know that Unilever is very skilled in um, line extensions. Like, <laughs> I can't begin to tell you. I, I know that Unilever produces, um, you know, different products um, for different categories of, of pricing and so on and so forth. How, how is the inclusive business uh, model um, playing out within the Unilever's innovation cycle? Um, well, because um, basically when you're working in an emerging economy like ours, you have to, it's a high point of consideration. So we, um, we look at the small units, we look at the um, affordability. We, well, basically we start from the consumer lens, um, looking at what the consumer wants, um, looking at what, um, if we have um, the people that we work with, for instance, in the rural area, um, what is most likely to sell in those areas. I remember when we first started and we went in with, um, you know, a packaging that wasn't affordable to those who were living in the rural area. Obviously, we had to go back to the drawing table because the women were not, um, you know, making any kind of sales. People were not buying. It was not affordable to them. And if I give you an instance of toothpaste, for instance, and um, people still using um, you know, the sticks to, to brush their teeth and you want them to migrate from brushing teeth with the sticks into toothpaste, um, it has to be affordable. So these sticks are very cheap and there has to be a value proposition for them. Um, so those are the kind of considerations that we then had to look at in terms of innovation, um, looking at taste, looking at packaging, looking at afford affordability, whilst maintaining the same type of quality that you would have with the larger package that you will sell in the cities. And so it's a high point of consideration for us and something that you can't take for granted anyway when you're driving an inclusive business strategy. The market is different. Um, the mindsets are different. The cultures are different. Their wants and needs are different. Um, but the aspiration is always still there. So they still want the same quality. They want um, the same kind of things that, you know, but in a different way. Okay. I'm going to come back to uh, Professor Watkins. Professor Watkins, the impact investment um, space, uh, do you think it will be shrinking now that um, post-COVID, uh, I mean, COVID-19 has ravaged quite a number of organizations, not just private sector-driven organizations, but also nonprofits and, you know, foundations and so on and so forth. Are you seeing um, a shrink in the impact investment um, side of things? And what do you think, you know, will be the focus of impact investors at this point in time, post-COVID? 
That's a terrific question. So um, I think that naturally when the economy is shrinking as rapidly as it looks like it's going to shrink, um, you know, I think near term there might be a, a dip in the availability of you know, sort of investment capital uh, around the world in the large uh, economies. Um, but on the other hand, the opportunities I think are expanding fairly rapidly, right? And so there's a lot of discussion of maybe there's more of a need and more opportunity in the, the impact investing space and that the growth opportunities, if you're a, an investor looking for returns, impact investors, some of them are looking for market-based returns. Some of them are looking for positive, but slightly lower than market-based returns. Some of them may be more the international monetary fund kind of investors are willing to you know, not take very high returns at all. There's a real mix of investment impact investors goals, right? It's from the whole spectrum of, yeah, we just want to help. Uh, we don't want to lose money, but we kind of are willing to take just very low returns all the way to people that are expecting full-blown market rate returns. Um, and so I think that they're seeing a lot of opportunity in a market down. If they have money to, to make those investments, they can maybe find more opportunities that are investable than they would have uh, six months ago. So um, I think it's it's working both ways. Clearly, they're going to be looking for things that have impact, and that that world is really looking for sort of sustainable development goals like impact. So, if it, is it's energy, is it anti-poverty, is it women's empowerment? They're all over the place in terms of what they're interested in, and all of the sustainable development goals have people chasing opportunities in those spaces. Um, and so, I think the entrepreneur's mission right now is to identify what are the what are the highest needs that they can they can pivot to right away? That whether it's a face mask or whether it's water or whether it's you know employing people who have just been thrown out of work, um, uh, all of those would attract investors if the business models were there. Um, yeah, I don't see a long term or even in the you know two years from now, I don't see a huge downturn in impact investing. Quite the opposite. Right. So. Um... I know that uh, you've mentioned quite a number of things that entrepreneurs need to focus their attention on in, in terms of um, attracting impact investors. But Mrs. Uh, um, Mrs. Judge, I was, I, was thinking of, I was thinking in the direction of, okay, thinking of what Professor Watkins just mentioned in terms of what to focus on and all. Um, could you share with us some of the innovations that you are seeing from um, that you're seeing from adopting the inclusive business model, um, uh, inclusive business model um, strategy. What, what are the innovations you are seeing? What are the, you know, the key benefits, for instance, for Unilever? What, what, are, you, what are you seeing clearly? Well, I think what, Innovations that we that we we are seeing is really how to navigate. It's really in the um, angle of um, navigating into those markets doesn't come without its challenges. So you find out that um, the infrastructure, for instance, is oftentimes a challenge, um, and if you want to access those markets, infrastructure is king. So in innovations in with respect of um, having access to those markets through building the right kind of um, infrastructure, whether it's um, um, 
through the mobile, you know, the mobile having apps that you can then use to interface with the women in the rural area. And I'll give you a typical example. So it's um, the cost again is a key consideration. So when you want to work with people in the rural area and you want to help them move their goods from one point to the other, you usually find out that costs that are involved are sometimes very high. And so for you to be able to crush those costs, um, I will get, I'm talking about maybe you have um, uh, a manager who wants to then service them and provide them with goods. And um, if that manager is going to be going there frequently, how do they then interact with that manager to tell them, look, I need a uh, top up, you know, with my goods because my goods are not readily available. Um, one of the, you know, the most well-known um, innovations that we've seen, again, is in terms of, like I said, packaging, you know, giving the right kind of units to them that will be affordable that they will be able to buy and they will be able to access. The other thing that we find out that is also happening is in terms of um, innovation, is in terms of packaging um, food that they're usually um, used to, but packaging it in a way that can be sold from household to household that will make life easier for them in the rural areas. But having said that, I think there are a lot of opportunities that are still yet untapped. I've spoken about the number of people that were standing in front of a banking hall. Um, I was quite shocked um, when I went out and saw that there was no social distancing at all. People want to get their money. Like I said, a lot of people like us that are on this line and on this webinar um, will probably not have to go to a banking hall um, to have one transaction made or the other. How can we tap into that market? So there, there's, there are lots of opportunities. Some of the things that we've also seen um, that might provide opportunities is when you then have people that can't go out or so locked down, how did people um, get food to them, go to the market and help them? Um, just, I just know of one person that helped to do that. There was a small um, business holder that did that very well and was helping to supply food um, to those who were um, at the bottom of the pyramid. So there are lots of opportunities actually coming from COVID and some companies are making money while some are not. Um, and so we just need to keep on looking into that regards. Right. If, if I can jump in sort of on the innovation theme a little bit. Um, uh, you know, my experience working with a lot of entrepreneurs in these settings is actually quite consistent. We have a, I, I ran a program for many years at our university uh, that was just about entrepreneurship sort of in the developing economy, American tech kind of space, and going out to Silicon Valley, meeting the uh, entrepreneurs out there and the, the people who were working with them. And the process is remarkably similar. It was amazing to me how um, the innovation process sort of in, um, you know, the bottom of the pyramid space for businesses trying to serve that market, um, uh, you know, in Kenya and South Africa and in India and in Cambodia, places I've worked, um, comparing it to the innovation process broadly in Silicon Valley, very similar in, in a couple of senses. One is really understanding your marketplace remarkably well and doing an, an enormous amount of customer discovery. You can't just assume that you know what the customers want, right? And so the most innovative businesses are ones that are figuring out a, a slightly different thing that anybody else around them is doing 
because they have a little bit more insight into what the customers aren't getting with it from what's available in the markets now and then delivering something that improves on that. So that's, you know, that's customer discovery, fairly obvious to say that and very difficult to do, but companies that do that well, I think are the ones that are going to win. The second is that uh, the entrepreneurs that seem to be successful in both places, Silicon Valley and, um, you know, bottom of the pyramid, um, are obsessed with metrics. They're obsessed with collecting data and they're obsessed with analyzing is stuff that we're doing working and then being willing to sort of move and, and change based on the information that they're getting. And so they collect data, they analyze that data, they're completely obsessed with that and they're reporting it out. Third thing that I think is quite similar is the importance of bringing in a lot of viewpoints. Networking and having mentors and having people on your uh, sort of whether it's a formal advisory board or whether it's just sort of an informal sounding group that you meet with in a, in a, in a meetup someplace. Um, you know, I think the, the entrepreneurs who are uh, really successful will take meetings with anybody who wants a meeting and they will talk to as many people as will listen to them about their ideas and try to refine those ideas moving forward. Um, uh, my, I don't know much about the Nigerian entrepreneurship sort of space, but my understanding is that there are a lot of opportunities, incubators, accelerators, meetup opportunities. Um, take advantage of those things. That's the same thing that's going on all around the world. And the most successful entrepreneurs are just in those networks and just listening to a lot of people. Thank you so much. I would like to take two questions, um, one from a female and one from a male. And I would like you to keep it very short, one minute, and uh, because our time is almost up. So is there anyone in here who would like, just uh, indicate by raising up your hands, there's a way you raise up your hands here, and then I will select from the individuals who have raised uh, indicated interest. So I'm giving opportunity to one person, one male, one female, just to balance, you know, uh, gender <laughs> equitably. So, is there anyone in here who has a question, who would like to ask a question? I don't see any hands raised. Anybody? Okay, I guess, I guess everyone is fine with, uh, the, uh, with all the answers provided. Oh, okay, there's one person, right. Please go ahead. Yes, uh, my name is Michael. Um, I actually came in late to this, uh, to this meeting. I was, I was unable to catch a lot of uh, what was um, discussed. It would be nice if you can give us some summary of, uh, of um, the discussions so that I can have something to take away with me. I got a lot of things. I got a lot of things from Professor and Mrs. George. I'm quite grateful to them. Uh, but I, uh, I wouldn't mind some from a big camp. I missed about half an hour of uh, the discussions. Thank you. Well, that was my brother. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, I guess what we will probably do is share um, is to share the link to the video. We are recording the video and we'll share it afterwards. Uh, also, um, the, Professor Watkins and uh, Mrs. George, we have the opportunity to make a closing and sort of do a recap of some of the uh, high points of some of their conversations. Um, 
Is there a female in the house who would like to jump in and ask a question? The window is still open. Is there anybody? Um, I don't see anybody. Okay. So if that's the case, then um, Mrs. George, would you like to give us a closing? Yes. Um, I, I guess the reason why we're talking about inclusive business model is because of the fact that um, the impact of COVID-19 um, might just end up bringing more people into the poverty line. And um, whilst a lot of people we've heard about, you know, um, job losses, restructuring, people are having, businesses are really struggling at this time. Some have packed up. Um, it's to say there are potentials out there. So the question is, is there still a demand for goods and services? Yes, there's still a demand. The demand has just changed. The channels that we will traditionally know to make purchases and make sales have also changed. They've shifted, but they haven't gone. They're there. So there's still some products that are in great need. Um, just before the lockdown, I, I don't know if you heard, um, Coyote, um, there was a lot of rush for hygiene products, for instance, and a lot of businesses then went into, you know, making hand sanitizers and all that. Um, the question is, what are you doing about the opportunities that are out, out there and how are you tapping into it? Um, a lot of people are poor in Nigeria. So that means there's a huge market. Um, you can get, you can employ them, you can bring them into your value chain. There are opportunities for you to do that. There are opportunities for you to also uh, manufacture or give them services that would serve their needs. So it's just to look at it. And I just want to, um, I really liked what um, Professor said um, a while ago. And whilst I was looking at the issues of innovation, the first thing is for you to research. You have to research, you have to have knowledge, right? And that's something that is not quite common. So we just want to go out there and do the business. You have to research, you have to have knowledge, you have to follow the trends, you have to know what is happening. And I would say the easiest thing for you to do is to just go into and attach yourself to a chamber of commerce, a trade association. There you will get information about what is happening. Um, the chamber of commerce, you can also use them to get grants and access to all the stimulus packages that has been, you know, um, given by the government because then you're part of a formal structure. You have to network. Um, so this part of this webinar is you networking, you understanding, you understanding what is out there, stimulating your mind and thinking, you know, newly. And then technology is king. Embrace technology. There's so much you can find out out there. So demand is still there. Look for the opportunities and be inclusive in nature. There are a lot of people at the base of the pyramid that you can bring some good to. Thank you so much, Mrs. George. Uh, it's been a pleasure having you. Uh, Professor, Th uh, Professor Watkins, your closing. Yeah, I, I agree that it, despite the crisis that we're all in and the, eco the economy is likely to um, go underwater for a while, I think the opportunities are there and you know, seeking them out because the demand is shifting and businesses that find those opportunities faster than other businesses will be the ones who, who make it through. And so taking advantage of the crisis, you know, no good crisis should go to waste, I guess is the saying, right? Um, finding those opportunities are, are key. And I think being in the marketplace, being in the networks, being in conversations with as many people as you can, whether it's through this sort of medium or otherwise, phone calls, cell phone calls, whatever, um, I think are, are key to it. 
And also there are financial opportunities there that financing will follow good ideas. I don't think there's a shortage of finance. I think there's a shortage of the combination of a good idea. There's a lot of ideas floating around. Many of them are pretty good, but then people who can execute on those ideas and the marriage of those two things is the importance, right? So a banker or an investor who is looking to help you scale your business is going to want to see some evidence that you can execute on the idea. There's a million ideas out there. That's not the, that's not the shortage. The shortage is people who can make it work and who understand their marketplace. Right. Thank you so much, Professor Watkins. It was a pleasure having you. Um, before we go, I'll just say a few things. So from everything I've, I've learned, um, I'm understanding now that the more problems we have, the more solutions we have to be able to create. Uh, if there are no problems, there'll be no solutions to create. So obviously there's a lot of problems right now, <laughs> especially with post-COVID. Uh, secondly, is the fact that a lot of businesses are beginning to understand that they need to leverage online resources. Uh, the fact that we've been so stuck with physical interactions for years and all of a sudden we're, you know, we've been um, halted from, from, you know, going ahead with interacting with people physically uh, has opened up the opportunity for, and, and the mindset for people to begin to think online resources. So this is an opportunity for, uh, this is a, a great opportunity for a lot of our IT professionals to begin to have conversations with small businesses who are looking to move online um, and leverage online resources. Uh, the last thing I would say is that I had a conversation with a couple of VCs and one of the things they said is the best ideas come from periods of crisis. They believe that the best of ideas come from those periods. If you check, a lot of the big businesses that we have today came out of crisis situation. And so they are looking out for businesses who are thinking differently, especially post-COVID. So I think that there is more opportunity that we think there is right now than ever. I'm a, I'm a, the news, the media, the news media will say all kinds of things right now. Oh, it's going to be terrible. The inflation rate is going to go high. This is going to go down. This is going to go high. This is going to go down. Don't get, don't get you know, sucked in by some of this information. Rather, take those information and use it to your advantage. So um, once again, this webinar was brought to you by Smith's Work and Passion Incubator. Um, we we'll like to say that, um, you know, it's been a pleasure having you here. And uh, we thank Professor Watkins and Mrs. George for being part of this webinar. And we hope to see you some other time. Thank you so much. Have a lovely day. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Thank you, Professor. Nice meeting you. Yeah, you too. <laughs>